You're listening to Productive Flourishing. Thanks for joining us today. Somewhere in the pregnancy or maybe right after the birth um, happens, there's that moment where you finally realize, oh, crap, like I have brought another human being into this world and I'm my job is to make sure that they live. Do you know what I'm saying? <laughs> like there's a moment where you're like, I oh, I thought I was just going to have a baby. I, I didn't quite realize that I had to take care of a whole another human being. And I think um, when that that moment happens and it's different for different people, it's huge. That was Barb Suarez, a health educator who specializes in the transformational events of pregnancy, birth, and parenting. She joins me and Angela today to discuss the often unspoken realities of new parenthood, including how the process is identity shaping for all three people, how to have an afternoon transition that increases bonding, and how parenting and childbirth has shifted since the rise of the internet and social media. Whether you're thinking about having kids, in process of having kids, have kids, or have loved ones having kids, there are takeaways here that will help ensure that parents who are doing their best focus on what works best for them. I'm Charlie Gilkey, and this is Productive Flourishing. Welcome to Productive Flourishing, where we explore how to do the work that matters so you become your best self in the world. I'm your host, Charlie Gilkey, and I'm joined by Angela Wheeler and other guests who will share their stories, insights, wins, and challenges in the hopes that our journeys and stories will help you with yours. Now, on to the show. Barb, I am so excited that you joined us on the show today because you're here to talk about one of the most transformational events in any person's life, which is having a kid, right? Having a baby. And yep. so um, your work is largely with people going through pregnancy, um, birth and parenting. And that's such a rich topic because um, what I really enjoy about the topic is aside, of, aside from you know the birthing part, part of the process is that it's an identity changing process for so many different people, right? It's Absolutely. not, it's not just that you're bringing a new person into the world. You're actually in that process of, of creation, bringing a new version of yourself into the world. And that creates a lot of tension and things like that. So thanks so much for coming and talking about this on the show with us today. I'm super excited to be here. And I think you've really kind of nailed it on the head, Charlie. It's not, um, Having a baby is not that the baby itself is the only one that gets born. The mother is born, the father is born, the grandparents are born, the aunts and uncles are born. Um, there's a huge shifting of identity for everyone, uh, even in the friend circle. If you're the first one to bring a baby into this world, your friends have to figure out how they relate as well um, to this little person and you're changing roles. So uh, it's a great, ripe time for transformation. But it kind of depends on how willing folks are to lean in and embrace a lot of what that change has to offer. Yeah, for sure. Well, I'm super, super pumped about this. Um, I remember uh, when we met, I guess it's been a couple of years ago now, and I just remember a conversation or part of a conversation we had about um, about the stories that you like to bring out of people about this whole process and the sharing of both both the good and the scary um, and just how much in that discussion, how much it resonated with me, um, just how in touch you are with the whole spectrum of what becoming a parent is about. Um, and so I'm hoping we get a chance to kind of touch on a little bit of that, that story, story aspect of things today too. I think it's really funny that I've actually landed in this work. Why? Um, when I was a, a kid, uh, well, first of all, I was a, a, just a, an enormous tomboy. Mm. Um, didn't play with dolls at all. Hated them. Actually, I used to take the, the heads off of my sister's dolls and, um, you know, was more at home on the soccer field than I was anywhere else. And, um, and I think it was this really interesting piece of, for me, when I finally became pregnant, actually even before that, when I was at my dear friend's birth mm -hmm. and I witnessed birth for the first time, I thought, oh no, 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 no. I have so much power as a woman to be kind of a co-creator in mm -hmm. this experience of mm -hmm. birth. And, um, and so it's hysterical to me that I've landed in such a woman-centered uh, mm -hmm. profession, but I really, really love it. There's, uh, I never get sick of it. My kids will sometimes tease me and say, you teach the same classes over and over again. Don't you get bored? 
And about three seconds into the anatomy discussion, I'm like, isn't that incredible? Look at your body, what it can do. And I'm just, I'm right along again for the ride with a whole new group of people. So I love it. That's awesome. That's really awesome. Well, I guess, you know, one of the things I would love to hear a little bit about, um, just to start, I know there's some some really deep stuff we want to get into and talk about, about the things you're excited about and working on. But I would love if you would just share with us a little bit about about your work and, um, you know, whatever feels most relevant for you right now about what what does Barb do in the world? So I consider myself a health educator and I specialize in childbirth preparation and new parenting. Um, I've been at it for a really long time. I actually started teaching these classes uh, 20 years ago, if you can imagine. Um, And I have four children of my own, but my oldest is 18. So I actually started teaching a couple years before Mm -hmm. I ever um, gave birth myself. And you can imagine my credibility went way up after I started pushing them out. It was kind of a rough sell the first couple of years when I'm like, no, I don't have any kids, but I can help you have a baby. Mm-hmm. But um, I uh, I love what I do. And I think that, that I am in that unique position where I have found something that's so well suited to who I am and what my strengths are, which I think is an interesting piece. I feel lucky that I get to do this work. And part of it is because I am so passionate about the work but part of it is because it does really fit who I am. I am an extreme avert, which is a new word that I've created, <laughs> the extreme extrovert. Um, I enjoy being up in front of a group. I love to present. Um, and and I love that moment when I am teaching where, uh, you know, a classroom of 30 couples just goes silent because something I said has really, really clicked. And I, I feel like that moment, what that is, is it's almost, it's a weird thing. I kind of sometimes feel like, where are the words coming from? Like they come out of my mouth and I'm saying something and I believe that it really is, um, I, I'm in uh, welcoming them into this idea of embracing vulnerability and, and they do it. And in that moment, it's a really, it's a powerful thing. Um, I love it. And I, you know, um, I'm kind of working at Legacy, working at OHSU, Oregon Health Sciences University. This last year has been a big year for me. I uh, finally created, moved my blog, which I have been writing for the last three years. Um, Birth Happens. It's become a full-blown website in the last year, which is kind of a huge deal. And I'm starting to embark on moving my work out into the community as well. So lots and lots of fun and exciting stuff happening. Um, And it feels like it's taken a while to get here, but I'm kind of excited where I am right now. Yeah, you mentioned something earlier about credibility when talking about parenting. And this is something that Angela and I actually have to struggle with a lot because so much of the topics that show up on the podcast actually are around kids and how to manage with kids and, and things like that. And so it's it's interesting in this conversation because I was thinking as you were explaining that I was like, hold on, how did we jump from health education to talking about vulnerability? Because I wouldn't think that that's the jump that one would take. But then again, I, we're not on the, on the child-rearing path. And so that's not something where we've had to think about why we would go to a class on, on childbirth and, and feeling that sort of vulnerability and stuff like that. So what is that link for, for all of us who may or may not be on that path? So what I think is really interesting, and, I, and it changes for different people, right? It might be something that they recognize the minute they finally get pregnant and and maybe they were on that path of trying to get pregnant for a really long time. And so they're in the midst of like, you know, all the logistics that needs to happen there, or maybe they find themselves accidentally pregnant or what have you, right? Um, somewhere in the pregnancy or maybe right after the birth um, happens, there's that moment where you finally realize, oh crap, like I have brought another human being into this world. And I'm, my job is to make sure that they live. Do you know what I'm saying? <laughs> like, there's a moment where you're like, I, oh, I thought I was just going to have a baby. I, I didn't quite realize that I had to take care of a whole another human being. And I think um, when that, that moment happens, and it's different for different people, it's huge. My um, baby was born, my first baby was born. I talked to my mom probably within the first six hours after birth and I hear her voice on the phone and I burst into tears immediately. 
And she said, well, oh my God, what's wrong? And I said, I'm just so sorry. I'm so sorry. And she said, for what? And I said, all those times I said I was going to be home at midnight and I didn't come home until three. I'm so sorry. It was like this moment where I realized, oh, all of that stuff that my parents were doing was not to change my life or restrict me in any way. It was so that I would live, right? And so I think that sense of vulnerability it kicks in and it's been amplified in this generation. I can tell you the, um, and I'll tell you exactly why, because I've been at this for two decades. The parenting that happened pre-internet versus post-internet and social media, two totally different things, totally, totally different things. Those feelings of vulnerability are so much more amplified now because it, <laughs> The internet's a great thing, right? It's lovely to be able to uh, ask Google anything and to get an answer. But when you're talking about parenting and the, the, just the mountains of information that are available, first of all, that's a challenge. Then on top of that, uh, you're thinking, I have to do this the right way. But then you're trying to sift through, well, what is the right way? There's so much information. And, you know, we're living in an age where confirmation bias, right, Mm-hmm. where all you're seeking out is the stuff that supports what you already think going in as opposed to current and ev- evidence-based information, that kind of uh, throws a wrench into it. And then you talk about social media. So people are never online sharing the challenges, the real and normal, totally common challenges of parenting. They're just sharing um, all the good stuff, which may or may not even be true. Like here's my latest Instagram picture at the pumpkin patch where I look like I'm super happy, but in fact, I'm actually suffering from postpartum depression, you know, that kind of stuff Mm -hmm. Um, to the point where you're also in that place where um, I I feel the vulnerability around parenting really causes people to either be judgy in the worst way or uh, to be on the attack because they're not a hundred percent sure of the decision that they've made. And so how can they feel better about the decision that they've made? Well, if they make sure that everybody who's made a different decision than them is not right. It really, we're in a kind of an interesting place right now. And my, if I have to say that there's one thing that I'm really most interested in and invested in, um, in the work that I do is to take that and bring it down about 25 notches and really kind of instill in expecting in new parents the sense of um, being okay with vulnerability because it doesn't go away. And and then trying to seek out what is it that's going to work for you and your family and kind of rally around that idea. Yeah, this is going to sound, I mean, I, I've got to be careful here in this day and age about what I say here, but something that I've experienced, especially through some of my clients who are moms, right, is how vicious some of the sort of mommy blogger camp can be and how vicious some of the mom groups can be like, they'll show me things that happen in those groups. And I'm like, what is that? How is what? Right. And so I can imagine, you know, you both have the confirmation bias that you mentioned that you're just looking for things to validate your own, you know, conclusions or your own opinions, but you also had that sort of, you know, almost attack dog sort of thing. Like if it's not what you believe, you've got to attack it. Like that creates, you know, a, a super toxic swirl. And, and it's, it's also not, it's all online. Mm-hmm. So it's real easy to just hide behind your tiny little thumbnail avatar and say whatever you're going to say, which you would never say in person to somebody. But we're in this place where everyone feels like, oh, I'm so connected. I have X number of friends on Facebook or whatever, Instagram followers. But if you're not meeting face to face, then you don't really have your tribe. And you need a tribe. If you're going to be a parent, you need a tribe. So just a gentle reminder for everyone when it comes to social media of all types, you are looking at someone's curated experience. You're not looking at their day-to-day reality. And this is whether you're talking about parents or whether you're talking about business, whether you're talking about creative, like you don't see the parts of what people don't want you to see. I mean, even the people who are showing you the things that are unusual that you would not normally see, they still want you to see that. There are other parts they don't want you to see. So just keep in mind that whenever you look at someone's social media profile, even if it's truthful, it's not yeah. complete, right? Yeah. And so yeah. don't judge your um, 
your place in the world or how you're doing based upon someone's curated curated experiences like watch your own lane here especially exactly especially if your parents so exactly agreed i'm curious um I'm kind of coming up with this question as I'm speaking it um, and hoping that I'm going to find the right words, but I'm curious in what ways you, you create and kind of make this safe place for parents um, when there's so much misinformation out there as well as judgment And then there's, you know, that's just the external stuff, but then there's all the internal stuff, like our own judgments about ourselves and our own, like, as you mentioned earlier, like, oh, wow, this is a human and I'm responsible for keeping this human alive. Yeah. So there's the the internal dialogue as well as the external dialogue. Um, I'm just curious, you know, in making this safe place for these parents to come to, Um, if there are any certain things that come to mind for you that you'd like to share about, um, how you've helped to relieve some of that stress or anxiety, um, or I don't, I'm not even a great question, but I'm kind of, no, I, I, I I got some, some thoughts on that. I think part, um, excuse me. Um, you know, I try and create a real sense of community when people come to my classes and that can be, if it's a you know, a class of six to 10 couples, or if it's um, 30 people strong or 30 couples strong. Um, And one of the ways to do that, honestly, is to get them up and actually talking with one another right from the very beginning. I don't do the whole, um, tell us your name and, and, you know, are you a Virgo and do you like long walks on the beach? That's that's not going to work. Like, let's have you guys chat with each other for just a little bit. And I'll take longer than most people will on that front end. I'll do 20 minutes of that where they're actually talking to each other. Um... And then one of the first things I do is uh, straight up say, you guys can't control birth. You can't. It's a naturally occurring phenomenon. It will unfold in the way that it's going to. Your body is designed to be able to do this, right? I mean, makes sense from an evolutionary standpoint. But you can't control it. And that does not always sit well with people right on the very I mean, it's within the 10 minutes of me actually teaching the class is when mm-hmm. I'm saying this. And you can see a couple of people, you know, they kind of pull back a little bit and they're a little like, I don't know if I wanted to hear that. But then we can go in and we can start talking about, doesn't that give you a sense of relief? Mm-hmm. This is not something you have to control. And what you can control is your reaction to how this all unfolds. Um, encouraging folks to embrace curiosity, right? Not being an expert or knowing all, but really being able to be curious about the process and ask the questions, um, being flexible. Oh my gosh. I mean, that is, it's just a good life skill, but for sure it has to happen in terms of parenting. There's no question about that. Uh, and then really leaning into that vulnerability with, with the full intention of saying to them, this is a life transforming event that you're going to be going through. There's no question about that. You will come out on the other side of this, a different person. Now, how much of that transformation do you want? Lean into the vulnerability. Mm-hmm. Because if you can, it can be life-changing in a very, very intentional, positive way. Or you can try and plan, 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 plan the whole thing out. Hold that vulnerability back. Um, and you're not going to get the same bang for your buck. It's not necessarily an easy thing to sell um, on the front end. But I find people, after spending a day with me or, or four weeks, if they've got a series with me, uh, their fear is less. Their confidence and excitement is more. And that's all I can really ask for on the front end. And also in- encouraging them not to plan. That's a really, really big challenge for this generation of people. They really want to plan things out. And if um, if I can give them the gift of not making a plan and being able to kind of go in with, how do I make however this birth and this parenting thing turns out positive for me? I'm going to be okay. That's going to be a good thing for me. What do you think? The, I mean, you mentioned <clears throat> this generation wants a plan or they likes to, they like to plan. 
Um, now you've, you mentioned sort of the internet and the fact that there's information out there. You've also mentioned social media, but I don't think those are sufficient to sort of explain where this urge to like have that certainty comes from. And I, I think, you know, anytime I meet a person that over, that wants to overplan something, um, there's a bit of control freakishness there, right? Of just wanting to control, but really what they're wanting is certainty. Like this is the way that it's going to happen. And I can get my arms wrapped around that and I can commit to that because this is how it's going to happen. Okay, got it. We can do this, right? But when it's like, I don't know, it might be eight months, it might be nine and a half, Mm -hmm. right? It might Mm -hmm. be Mm -hmm. this. I might love people in the last trimester. I might hate people in the last trimester, right? I. It's, it's interesting because we see that same sort of thing when we're talking about creative work, when we're talking about business. It's that same sense of wanting to control. But you mentioned it. You've seen a shift in your context. And I'm wondering, aside from the Internet, aside from social media, what do you think that's about? Well, I think, I mean, I'm going to actually kind of just uh, reveal something about myself, which is, you know, I taught for two years before I had my first baby, like I said. and um, and I used to have time in my classes where we would all pull out pad of paper and a pen and we would write our birth plan. Okay. Like I was like, that was my thing. That was a part of my class. I taught it. Let's do this. And then, um, I was about eight months, eight and a half months pregnant. My husband comes into the dining room with a legal pad and I'm not joking in a black Sharpie marker. And he's written across the top of the page, our birth plan. (laughs) And I said, what's that? And he's like, so we need to write this, right? I'm like, Oh, we're not writing one. And he said, wait, what are you talking about? You tell everybody to write a birth plan. So what is this about? And I said, uh, I've taught about 200 couples and have not met a woman yet. When I see her on the other side, we're at reunion and I say, how was your birth? And she said, well, it didn't go according to plan every single time. So I don't think it's a good idea for us to do that. So I want to, I kind of want to put that context in there because um, it is learned from me, this idea of really wanting to expand or have people kind of open up to this idea. And part of it has to do with the fact that um, if I could go back 20 years ago and tell myself, you're going to be wildly, wildly invested and in, in desirous of having a neurobiology degree, go to school now for neurobiology, I would have done that. So the brain and how it actually responds to that level of planning in an event like birth which you cannot plan, right? I mean, you can set some some things up for yourself. You can do a really fine job of choosing where you're going to uh, deliver. You can definitely choose providers that will match well with you. Um, and you can get education, which is great. But birth is going to unfold as it's going to unfold. And then you're going to tell your birth story on the other side. And so this idea of um, the brain kind of, when we put that plan out there or we get online, right. And there's a, a birth plan and it's got, um, different things that you can check, right. I want this. I don't want this. Your brain locks it in and mm-hmm. it says, this is how it's supposed to go. And you're right, Charlie, it gives you that, that it's a false sense of security in the moment. It makes you think, all right, we got this. Our arms are wrapped around us. We know what's going to, what, how to expect. We're going to go in with this. If your expectation is here and your reality is here, the distance between those two is absolutely equal to disappointment. And so what we're finding is that people on the other side of giving birth, especially when they're really, really locked into it being, it has to go a certain way or it has to look a certain way in order for it to be positive. If it does not match that, not only are they disappointed, but in some cases they can be traumatized. And my belief is that that's not, it does not have to be that way. Now, there are, I'm not saying that, oh, you know, you drop the birth plan and you won't have a, a trauma, a traumatic event, depending on the circumstance. That's not what I'm saying. But you can absolutely lessen that sense of disappointment um, by allowing this thing to be organic and to kind of move with it. It's not easy, but I really do spend a tremendous amount of time talking about the brain and how it actually can, it, it can hurt you or it can help you in this situation. That, um the body knowing what it's supposed to do and knowing how to do it is for real and true. But the three pound organ in between your ears tries to stage a coup repeatedly. <laughs> it thinks that it has to be in charge all the time. And we need to kind of tell it all the time. We're good. 
we got this, right? Um, and if we can, if we can kind of settle that piece down, birth can unfold and you can have a really different looking birth and still feel like it was the most beautiful, transformative, empowering experience ever. And I, you know, sometimes we'll compare my two first two births in discussing that my first birth on paper, nobody would want that birth. If I were just to write it out on paper, no. And I'm not going to go into details. I'm just going to tell you it, it was a challenging birth and it had lots of interventions and uh, it was super, super long. If I were to share the details, there's not a pregnant woman alive that would be like, sign me up. That's the birth I want. I loved that birth more than anything. I thought it was fantastic. And part of that was me being able to um, own it and be flexible. And I set myself up with the right people and I was able to make good, good decisions throughout. Second birth on paper looks beautiful. Fantastic birth. Everybody, if I were to tell you those details, you'd be like, yeah, for sure. That's the one I want. And I had postpartum depression on the other side of that birth. And sometimes I will share that with people so that they can understand it, it does not have to look or seem a certain way, but if we can work with our brains and we can work with um, setting ourselves up for decision-making, shared decision-making success, right? Which means vulnerability. Mm -hmm. I mean, we're back to that. You need to actually be able to share with the people around you and your provider um, how you, what your concerns are for real, not the surface concerns. You know, Angela, when you were talking about you have that internal dialogue, right? Mm -hmm. So, so if you want that unmedicated, no intervention birth, is it because you really want it? Or is it because everybody in your book club has had that? Mm -hmm. Do you know what I'm saying? I do absolutely know what you're saying. There's just that idea of like really getting real with yourself about what your fears and concerns are about and then being able to share those with the people that are there to support you. Mm -hmm. And if you are able to do that and feel listened to, cared for, loved, encouraged, supported, um, and to your level of comfort, because that's a whole nother conversation, a decision maker to your level of comfort is very, very important. Um, then you can have this incredible positive experience, even if, right? That's always kind of the piece. And I, I have to say that if people are able to embrace that, it can really radically change how you experience birth and then how you actually move into new parenting, because that's a big deal. That's a very long answer, and I'm so sorry about that. <laughs> I love that it's a long Perfect. answer. Well, I mean, it's one of those things that, again, life in general, if you want to avoid being frustrated and disappointed and upset, um, you know, one strategy is to have low expectations, but you're still going to be like that sets up something. The very best thing and the hardest thing to do is have no expectations. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Because then you're not shooting for some sort of bad thing like or, or, or worrying about bad scenarios. And you're not right. also disappointed if the good things don't happen. You're just open to what happens. Right. Um, and understanding that, especially in this context, that like our bodies are designed Right. To, to do this thing that it's doing. Right. Um, and in some ways that, you know, there's, there's a long sort of tangent here, but the, the medical intervention side of things is a relatively recent thing. And granted, it's great because, you know, birth rates have gone up and all sorts of things like that. But at its core, the body knows what to do and you have to trust that you can see it through in that way. That's part of it. I also really just want to make sure that that just being true to myself, I have a super, super healthy respect for intervention. When it's necessary, mm -hmm. it's one of the best things that could happen. And I think that we have um, kind of this weird uh, environment going on now where, you know, everyone knows, quote unquote, what the best way to have a baby is, right? Mm -hmm. And the best way would be X, Y, Z. And if things kind of go sideways, then that means that you're having a crap birth. And that's not okay. Like it, sometimes, maybe more often than you would think, intervention or cesarean birth is the safest way to bring your baby into this world. And it's, it can still be a beautiful birth, but we have to change our attitudes about that. And there's a, I mean, I'm a, I'm a fan of all birth, right? But I think it's really hard when somebody um, is coming into the experience already with a set of judgments about how it has to look or, or it's only going to be good if uh, the number of times folks get stuck in that place of, um, my birth will be positive and I will be empowered if I do this thing without medication. Okay, maybe, maybe that will be your, your reaction or your response. 
but only if you don't suffer. Mm-hmm. And that's a big piece to kind of sell to people. There's a big, humongous difference between coping with pain and suffering. Mm-hmm. And sometimes, you know, people will dip their toes from coping into suffering. I'm not going to lie about that. Transition is challenging. And so a lot of women will dip their toe in there. If we can get them back into coping, then they absolutely can do this thing without medication and feel really strong and empowered. If they cannot be brought back from that place of suffering, they they might be able absolutely to do this thing without medication, but they will not feel positive and, and empowered about it. And that's a piece that's not being talked about, honestly, with a lot of folks that kind of glom onto that idea that this is what it means to no, you can have every intervention and a cesarean birth and have it be one of the most empowering experiences of your life. Thanks for that clarification, because I did not mean to say that interventions were bad. Yeah, um, I get that. What I, I just meant to say is, that, yeah, there's a lo- there's a broad perspective of the way that this can unfold, totally. right? And they can be amazing, right? Yes. Yeah. So. I'm curious about, um, you know, you mentioned earlier that you're really, um, really excited nowadays about this vulnerability piece um, with the work that you're doing. Um, and I'm curious if, um, you know, if you see this showing up in a way differently for, for the moms and the dads that you're working with, um, or if it's just kind of this, um, this general vulnerability um, for, for all parents. I, th- I think that it can be pretty significantly different. Um, you know, uh, in, in talking about how I was such a tomboy as a, as a kid, I love men and, um, and I love partners. Uh, I pay a, a kind of an, an obnoxious amount of attention to them in classes and making sure that their experience is validated. Mm-hmm. Um, oftentimes I think it in this, whatever, I might get some comments about this, but the experience of birth for a man, pregnancy and birth may be, especially if they're a white man, maybe the very first time that they feel completely helpless. Mm-hmm. It is so foreign. It sits completely outside of their realm of experience. They um, might, and not, not to be too stereotypical, but they, they might have always kind of um, helped their partner if she was in pain or if she needed anything in the past by fixing things. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you can't fix this. This is something she goes through. Um, the attention is really oftentimes um, very heavy-handedly put towards the woman and the child, mm-hmm. um, the birthing woman and the child and not the partner. Oftentimes, even in the films that we show in classes, uh, my eyes always, always, always go to the partner. And these are birth films, you know, they're educational films. And I'm always like, oh, nobody's paying attention to him. Mm-hmm. Nobody's even looking at him. And so, I, you know, part of what I will talk about in my classes and I, I'll use like a, you know, a little doll and a, and a knitted uterus and, you know, the whatever to kind of show what the experience would look like and be for the partner, what they will be seeing if they choose to watch. They don't have to watch, but what that would be like for them. So that that moment when the baby comes into the world uh, with a funky shaped head and a bunch of cheesy white stuff all over it and it's not breathing and its coloration is horrible you know, I mean, that's a, mm-hmm. that's a baby when it's being born. Uh, if, if partners don't know that and they don't have a heads up about that, they literally think that their baby's dead. Mm-hmm. So the moment that they're supposed to be thrilled that this their son or daughter is in the world now is a moment of trauma for them. I think that there are different things. Part of what I enjoy um, and how and why I enjoy teaching um, couples in particular is because I'm able to really kind of... Um, um, mirror back to them that they're going through their, that everyone in the room is pregnant except for me. Mm-hmm. It's just two very, very different experiences. Mm-hmm. And the minute I can say, and I usually do in the first night of classes, you guys might be having some interesting arguments where um, you say to your partner, we need to head back to baby's arrest. And they respond to you, what? We were just there last weekend. Mm-hmm. And of course, from the pregnant person's perspective, she's like, well, he's just not very excited about this birth at all. You know, my, 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 my. And of course he's thinking, 
she's going to be on maternity leave for 12 weeks mm. and money's going to be tight. And I have to support this family in this way. Do you see what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Like some really interesting things kind of come out. And when we're able to really acknowledge the separate vulnerabilities that exist for both of them and then show them in class, it mm-hmm. kind of allows them to have a different shared perspective on what's going on. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I um, Those are great examples. And I, you know, of course, because I'm not a parent, um, you know, I'm just thinking of that example you gave. I can, I can only imagine being the partner in a room, you know, when, you know, when your partner is giving birth and not knowing to expect that the baby is going to look like this, how traumatic that could be. It's, I mean, it's pretty big and it doesn't yeah, have to be. Exactly. You know, exactly. That, that moment um, where, and people laugh about this, but they're, it's really true for a lot of partners because they are not living the physical experience of pregnancy. Mm-hmm. When the baby comes out, there is a moment, there's two things that happen. One, they might be very emotional, but it has nothing to do with the baby. Mm-hmm. They are overcome with emotion that she is okay. Mm-hmm. That's, that's it. That's number one, right? Mm-hmm. Second thing is this reaction of, oh my God, there was a baby in there the whole time. And it <laughs> sounds silly, but it's not really. There. The baby is oftentimes theoretical for the partner in a, in a way that does not, it's just not real until the baby is actually in the world and then it's real. Um, and what can happen in that situation, just moving into parenting, is that oftentimes a person who is gestating that baby has a head start mm-hmm. on all of it, right? Mm-hmm. On adapting to being pregnant, on um, adapting to what it is to parent. Oftentimes, if you talk to the pregnant person uh, and you ask them, uh, when you think of baby, what do you think of? They think of newborn. But when you ask a partner, if you think about about a baby, what do you think of? They usually think about a toddler, Mm. like literally somebody that they could throw a ball to, that they could hold hands with. And they could like the whole newborn piece is not there for a lot of partners. So it's an interesting piece in terms of moving into parenting then, moving from couple to family where are you when you land on the other side of that, right? Um, which is one of the reasons why I'm super excited about the classes that I've just started teaching in the last year, the Becoming Us classes, because it talks about, that's one of the pieces that we talk about, is is the partner playing catch-up sometimes on the other side? And, and how does that sit with the person who's a little, maybe a little farther ahead or a little bit more ready for this parenting gig? Like, what, how do we address that? the change or, or where folks are. Well, I could see that that would be a, a great place for shame and frustration to show up, right? Oh. Because if you're the lagging partner and you just realized at childbirth, like, Oh, wait a second, this is a thing for real, for real. Right. And then you've got nine months of catch up, right. Then you feel like what, what happened there. And there's also this expectation that like, not only does this baby pop out and you, you realize it's a thing, but like, you got to go home that day and it's real that day for you. And so you're sort of like, you know, um, sometimes I, I, I talk about, you know, being drugged behind a car going down the interstate and you're on a skateboard, right? Yeah. And it's like, oh, this thing is for real and happening. And so you're overwhelmed in a different way, right? Yes. Because the reality has hit you. Um, and then on the other side, there's a frustration, I, I would imagine, from the birthing partner, which is like, so seriously, where have you been for the last <laughs> period of time? Like, and yeah. so there... And, you can spend, I don't know how long in that sort of cycle. And especially if you're doing multiple births, right? By the time mm-hmm. the partner, the non-birthing partner catches up, there's like another one starting to happen and you're starting on this whole roller coaster ride. And, you know, this was something that I read in Iron John um, early in the, in the, early in the book, Iron John. And he, his point was that, and granted he was talking about, time in the past, but I think it's still true. But like, as soon as the baby pops out, the father is divorced um, from that baby because he, the father has to go back to work. Right. And be separated from that part of the process. So, you know, if you follow that sort of narrative, like pops out, like, Oh, this is a thing. And then like, you're back to work three days later and you're divorced from that entire sort of process. And you didn't get the nine months. You had sort of those three days, if you're lucky here in the States, Um, and that's your experience of sort of newborn hood, 
Yeah. Oh, and the getting up and down and all this sort of stuff. But there's just a different experience there. Uh, you know. Well, on top of that, too, I mean, thankfully, especially in Portland, I mean, we do have to kind of give some props because there's some pretty good sized corporations that are like, sure, we're going to give you some nice paternity leave, which is great. So mm-hmm. for X number of people, if you work for certain places, you're going to get more time, which is great. But in a in a newborn's life, if you're away for eight hours, they kind of have to get to know who you are again every single day when you get home. And that's a really, really hard thing. Uh, coupled with that is the, is this, you know, especially if uh, the person who gave birth is breastfeeding, right? Um, then uh, it's not always just for uh, nutrition. Oftentimes it's for comfort. And so you can kind of feel as the partner, like you're standing outside of this beautiful little dyad between the two, you know, these folks are just getting it on and I'm kind of over here like, uh, when call me if you need me kind of thing. Um, and I'm not going to lie. There's a, there's a lot of women that are like, I'm going to show you how to do this. That is not helpful in the long run at all. If there's a way, and I encourage folks in my classes to think about this after however you're going to be feeding your baby, they have, uh, gotten a bottle. They know how to take it. There's plenty of food in the fridge for that kiddo. Uh, I usually tell the mamas to get up, take a breast pump if you need it or however you need to um, help yourself out and leave for eight hours. Now early, like maybe within six weeks of the Mm. baby's birth Wow. and you don't pack a diaper bag and you don't leave a list of what you're supposed to do. You just give them both the kiss and you walk out the door and you can check in at noon and see how everything's going, but you're not going to come home. You're actually going to let your partner parent their child. Are they going to do it the same way? Nope. Not at all. That's how babies thrive. They have two different sets of people that are doing two different sets of things. Um, what happens there is that shared perspective piece, right? So the woman uh, gets to understand what it is like to have to leave. And it is incredibly painful. It's not, we don't give that any kind of credence at all. That is a really, really hard thing for a partner to not be able to spend time with their newborn in that way. But then when you come home and your partner meets you at the door and you say, hey, what'd you do all day? And they respond with, I fed the baby. You'll be (laughs) like, yes. Now you understand. Why are there dishes in the sink? Well, that's because I I have to feed the baby all day. Like there's a, that shared perspective again is what can really be helpful um, for new parents to be able to kind of just understand what, what each other's journey is. And yes, there is sometimes a delay um, in catching up, but, but we need to welcome our partners into that role. We really do. Not by telling them how to do it, but just by saying, what's the thing you're going to be an expert at? In our family, it was always um, bathing. Mm. So when I bathe the kids, it is all business. I got no time for this, right? Get in, <laughs> get clean, get out. That's it. Uh, you know, let's do this. When my husband bathes our kids, I have no idea what's going on in there. It's like a dance party. There's like singing <laughs> But it requires seven towels to wipe up the floor because there's water all over the place. It is hysterical. It's so loud and boisterous and whatever. The same thing happens, right? They get clean. But it's also this really beautiful thing that he does that is just theirs. And that's a lovely thing. I'm not going to yell, why are you using so many towels? I'm going to say, thank you for bathing my children. Right? Mm -hmm. I don't have to do that task. And you do it beautifully. And they love it. So there's got to be ways that we work together, finding out what our strengths are, right? What what tasks do we want to kind of divide and conquer in this uh, relationship and then really support each other, whatever the, way we can. The other reason I love your, your suggestion for mom or for parents to leave, for moms in this case to leave, is that I think it also makes folks intention or at least aware of the different energetics of a house, right? Yeah. Like when you when you leave for eight hours and you come back home, and there's just an energy in that space that can be really shocking. And if I think one partner sees that or doesn't see that, it alters that experience of that transitionary period that, that happens for everyone. But I think in this particular context, you've got one person who's left all day, had their own sort of world and come back to this world. And then that I've seen and heard in relationships like that's where a lot of the frustration can happen is right at that transition period. And so, well, and it's. It's usually not great transition time. I mean, you know, we joke about how it's the arsenic hour, right? But at the end of the day, a baby's like, okay, 
I have had enough, enough of what? Enough attention and not enough attention. I, I'm hungry. I'm not hungry. I mean, it's just everything. And so right at that time, typically when partners come home, the baby loses it. Mm. So it can feel like, and it can really kind of become this thing where they're excited to come home to their little family and they walk in the door and it's not good. Right. And you've got a, a really frustrated mama that's like, shoving a child in you and on you so that she can take a break and whatever. There's got to be some level of um, figuring out that dynamic so that that transition can go better. And some of the ways to do that, honest to goodness, are to when your partner walks in the door, first of all, if it's been a rough day, give them a heads up. Mm -hmm. There's nothing wrong with texting or making a phone call and saying the last two and a half hours have been rough, dude. And when you walk in the door, the baby's coming to you and I'm taking off and that's just how it's going to be. Okay. So they have a prep, right? So that they can kind of be thinking about that and getting ready, right? <laughs> as they're coming home. But even if it hasn't been a rough day, holding your baby outward facing and having a 15 minute check-in with each other. How's your day? Oh, it's been really rough. Obviously a baby's crying here, blah, blah, blah. Um, how was your day? Like having this whole conversation and allowing your baby to actually put eyes on their dad or their other parent, right? And making that connection of their voice, their smell, everything else. So that when you do hand off, you're not handing off to a stranger. And that sounds horrible. But again, I want you to think about a newborn. It, mm -hmm. You've been out of their life for eight hours. They're brand spanking new. It's kind of like being reintroduced and they can get it pretty quickly, but they need, there's a transition time that needs to happen for the entire family, <laughs> the baby, mm -hmm. the mom, the other parent for sure. Right. However, we can make that work. Yeah. I love these. Like, again, you know, not a parent. However, oh my gosh, these are amazing ideas. And like, <laughs> I'm just, I'm floored about um, just how many different ways there are that, you know, changing this one little thing about the way you communicate or the way you come into the house or, um, the baby looking at the other parents. I mean, these are amazing ideas. Um, They're small, but they can make a big difference, I think. Yeah. 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 Huge. And that piece of, um, you know, that piece of a parent, or a, I should say a couple relationship can and oftentimes does take a hit on the other side of a baby coming into it. Um, I'm teaching these Becoming Us classes, and the statistic that we cite is that 92% of parents will report uh, bigger differences on the other side of having a baby, right? Um, the Becoming Us, I'm just going to give a plug really <coughs> quickly to Ellie Taylor, um, who wrote the book Becoming Us. She had 15 years worth of research, and she's a relationship therapist. And as folks would come in, she would say, wow, you guys are having challenges. When did it start to occur? Mm. And to the couple, they were saying, right after the birth of the first baby. Mm. So it's a really interesting piece, first of all. And that's a piece that, that needs, that information needs to get out there so that couples who are currently um, going through the normal challenges and changes of new parenting understand pretty much everybody is, right? Yeah. And it's yeah. so funny. I'll ask uh, on the first night of one of those classes, so how many here have friends who have kids? And they'll raise their hands and I'll say, and how many have shared with you but parenting has been really challenging and all of their hands go down. It's fascinating. Mm. And these are friends. These mm. are in their friend circle. They are not sharing the fact that this has been challenging for them. Um, so being able to kind of normalize that and encourage folks to, to be able to share in a group, wow, this has, this is challenging or this is going to be hard. Um, not bad, not bad. Just, hard, right? Mm. You are learning about 300 new skills um, in, a, in a brand new job where you're, you have no vacation time, no sick leave. You're not getting paid. Your coworker has been hired on the exact same day. There's no manual, not really, mm. right? And now you're supposed to do it well. It's just on zero sleep. Let me just add that, right? Um, <laughs> as with sleep deprivation as your kind of um, background noise there. So it's not, it's not an easy task. And the more we can actually normalize that for people and then talk about how we can switch this up. So this, this event that has the possibility of really causing conflict, it also has the possibility of creating much, much, much deeper connection than you've ever experienced before as a couple. 
And that's the news that I want people to hear. I mean, we this is an event that can transform you as an individual, no question, but it can transform your couple relationship in a way that is is fantastic, right? You go from a couple that is surviving to a couple that's thriving. That's a big deal. It is a big deal. And what's interesting is like it's adverse or it's overcoming adversity when you have a shared mission that builds teams, right? And yes. whether you're talking about a little family team, whether you're talking about a business team, whether you're mm-hmm. talking about your sports team or military team, it's the same right. basic sort of thing. Over, uh, overcoming adversity with a shared mission, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I find it fascinating that parents don't share that it's challenging and that parents, I guess, in the relationship aren't necessarily talking about like, yeah, this is challenging in a way that's non-judgmental about it being challenging, right? Because it's like you're not admitting that there's this shared adversity or there's this overcoming this adversity here, which leads to this better team. I'm not saying you that's the only way to get to a better team, but yeah. it's one of the ways that shows up in life. And so... Um, and it can't be helpful. It's that idea, when I encourage folks to find their tribe, what I mean by that, uh, live and local, right? Um, there are a few places where you can, can do some online stuff that if it's facilitated well, moderated well, it can be good, but that's very few and far between. So live and local is better as couples, if at all possible, right? Because you can get into that place where you're like, he never, right? Or she always, that kind of stuff when you're in a group of folks that are not representative of both parties in the, in the relationship. Um, but the tribe that you want to find is the one where you say, okay, you guys, you want to hear my latest parenting fail? And you share it with them. And instead of them looking at you like, oh my God, what, how is that? They share with, oh, that's nothing. Let me tell you mine. (laughs) That's the tribe you want. You want people that are willing to say, yeah, we're all in this together. And really, I was just thinking about this last night. There in, with very few exceptions, every parent who has a baby or a child is almost all of the time trying to do the very best they can. And that's it. And this idea that, um, that they're not is where we kind of get into this place of, you no, know, you need to back way, way off of that. I mean, I joke about how there are some days, you know, I got the, I got four kids and they're in four different schools, which is insanity. Mm. Uh, but there are some days where I'm like, I am killing it right now. <laughs> oh, it's like amazing. And then there are some days when I am so glad that that television show Super Nanny does not exist anymore. <laughs> because if she ever came to my house, oh, I'd, I'd be the, you know, the season finale show. Like, I mean, that's, that's reality, right? Some days really, really killing it. Some days getting killed by it. And I think that that message needs to be shared a little bit more. That um, Because there's, there's a little bit of backlash that's going on right now. That idea of, uh, and I wrote about it in one of my blog posts. Uh, you know, we don't want to aspire anymore to the goddess myth of, of mothering in particular because it's, it's unattainable. Uh, that idea of, you know, finding perfection in motherhood never has existed. It's not something to be chasing. But I'm finding there's also a backlash where we're just, we're kind of in this place right now where people are like, it sucks so bad. And that's also not helpful, right? I mean, realistically, we can kind of talk about there are days that are really, really hard and really, really challenging. And there are days that you cannot believe that you get the, the honor to be somebody's parent and to walk them through this life. It's just the, the immense miracle of it all is really beautiful and overwhelming. And both of those things can be happening at the same time. That's what I was going to add. My experience hearing parents' stories, which apparently they t- our parents talk to us about. Oh, yeah, you guys are good listeners. (laughs) (laughs) So I'm like, why do so they don't talk to everybody like this? Anyways, but like, I think the reality that that I've seen from other from parents is that actually that terrible day and that great day can be one in the same day. Absolutely, there's no question about that. And you can go one minute where it's like, if someone would just please take this child from me. Um, I will do whatever it takes to five minutes later being like, you know, something and that might happen multiple times per day. <laughs> totally. Right? Yep. And so yep. like, it's not one or the other, but life isn't one or the other that way. No. Right. And so that, I think that's, you know, um, 
we sometimes get in trouble from people with human kids, right? Because when you draw sort of pet analogies, they're like, it's not the same, right? Um, and so I'm sure we'll get some of that. But I think it's like they each teach you different things, right? Oh, yes. Um, and that the, the lessons that you learn through parenting are often just fractals of larger lessons of life, right? Mm-hmm. Just like the lessons that you learn from pets, especially you know, the gift of pets is that they come and go so quickly. And so you have mm-hmm. to, you have to learn to let go and, and things like that. And it's different mm-hmm. than what kids teach you. Right. Um, and so I think that's the thing is that part of it is just looking for the lessons of life in this experience that you're, that you're going through and how it's changing your identity, their identity and the world at the same time. And so, yeah, I think whenever as a general rule, and I think it applies to parents, whenever you get stuck in the, like, this is how it is, this is how it must be. This is the way it has always been. Um, all of those are false. Yeah, right? agreed. All agreed. of those are false because there's always variance and there's always, or there typically is multiple things happening at once for different people. And it's a harder story, but I think it's the truer story. Well, and each little person is an individual and unique little person. And it's funny, you know, I'm one of six in my um, family of origin. And I remember um, thinking uh, just to, being very aware, even as a preteen and a teenager, how differently my parents parented each one of us and and thinking, wow, that's really, that's really amazing that they do that. And of course now I've got four kids and they're four different people. So of course you parent them differently. Mm-hmm. You, my relationship with each one of them is significantly different, totally different actually. Um, but each one of them is a teacher. No question about that. And some of them, I mean, all of them have tried desperately to teach me to be more patient. And I probably need another 15 to 20 children before I learn that lesson. (laughs) But there are individual things that each one of them has taught me. And I am grateful for the fact that, uh, that I can learn. And as they're getting older, they're just teaching me more. I mean, that's the part that's been, I, I love little babies, but God, they're so much more fun as they grow up. Mm. (laughs) I agree. Pull me in when they turn about six and, (laughs) From is like, that your place? That th- that's that's when you? it starts for me. Yeah, right? I love yeah. the little yeah. babies. Yeah, so um, <laughs> no, I could I could pass on that. Um, so I like my sleep. <laughs> but, um, so it's interesting because I imagine a listener to this episode has several perspectives and or different perspectives they might be. So it could be someone that's contemplating, right the the yeah. the child rearing path. It could be someone that's on it. It could be a parent or a loved one of someone that's on that. So it's hard. You know, typically we wrap up the show and saying, what one takeaway would you provide for people? But people are going to be on different different places. You know, their frame of reference is going to be different with this conversation. But if we could sort of leave our listeners with one thing to think about that applies to all of them, um, what would that be? A really good question. Um I think if I can, if I can borrow something that my father told me when I was probably 17 years old and just full of the angst of what it means to be 17 and and so worried about what everybody else thought. And I was crying and sitting on his lap. He's got me, you know, on the chair, full five, six of me sitting on him. And, and he said, Oh, sweetheart, you do realize that nobody's actually really paying that much attention to you because we're all pretty self-centered and we're all pretty much just thinking of ourselves. Uh, um, That's a hard thing to hear when you're 17, when you think you are the center of the universe, but it's probably one of the better things that he taught me. And I would say that that is probably what I would want expectant, new parents, grandparents, anyone else that is actually being affected by this pregnancy, birth and new parenting journey to understand Stop worrying about what everybody else is thinking and instead find out what is working for you. Stand behind it. Don't judge other people. They're all doing the best they can and just continue on with some level of self-confidence and and kind of lessen anxiety. Enjoy it more. That's perfect. Barb, thanks so much for joining us today. Um, It's, it's been a blessing to have you on here and to talk about this and, um, yeah, thank, thanks so much. I had a blast. Thank you very much. It was great seeing you both again. Um, and I really appreciate getting an opportunity to share what turns me on. I appreciate it. 
All right, listeners. So you heard it from Barb. What can you do to let go of the idea of what other people are thinking about you and what their expectations are and find out what works for you? You have parents, you have friends that are parents, you might be on that path. And again, so many people are worried about what other people are thinking about them, that they're not thinking about what actually works for them. So be the person who thinks about what's working for you and what's working for other people. Until next time. Stand tall. Thanks for listening to Productive Flourishing. To get more resources that'll help you finish the work that matters and be your best self in the world, head on over to ProductiveFlourishing.com. If this episode warmed your heart or got your wheels turning, we'd really appreciate it if you'd leave a review for the podcast on iTunes. 